Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warriors, here's just a quick intro to today's Tactical Tuesday with my friend Paula Glover, president and CEO for American Association of Blacks in Energy. Abe is a national energy trade association that represents all sectors of the energy industry and i really really appreciated and enjoyed having paula come speak to our suncast career summit back in september and if you missed it well you're in luck because today you get to hear paula's keynote supporting the advancement of emerging leaders and increasing diversity across clean energy it is a fantastic look inside how we can achieve more diversity and inclusiveness in the energy business, not just renewables. If you haven't yet subscribed or checked out the rest of the Suncast podcast catalog, then I would encourage you to go over to www.mysuncast.com. That's where you can subscribe to the newsletter and you can click on any of the podcast player links that you are probably already listening to. So just click subscribe in the podcast player you're in. That's it for me right now. I love you. Thank you for tuning in on a Tuesday, and I hope that you have an amazing week. Stay tuned at the end to hear more about what else we have coming for you this week. But for now, let's dive into this tactical, practical Tuesday conversation on Suncast. Welcome, welcome back to session two of day one of the Suncast Career Summit. This is the keynote session with Paula Glover, president and CEO of the American Association of Blacks in Energy. We're going to be talking about supporting the advancement of emerging leaders and increasing diversity across clean energy. We have had such an exciting morning already. Our first session with Erica Jefferson of Black Women in Science and and Energy Engineering, excuse me, uh, was a really interesting dive into how the broader dialogue about diversity and inclusion is making its way into organizations, the steps and the missteps that organizations are having as they uh, work through trying to integrate uh, a sense of more inclusiveness uh, to find more equitable distribution uh, among their staff, among their future staff. How do you attract those folks. So if you missed that session and uh, you have an all access pass, I would encourage you or an evergreen pass, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. If you missed that session and you haven't registered yet, please go take a chance and register so that you can have access to all of our live sessions. Uh, We are, of course, in the keynote for day one. We've got two more days of of the summit. And uh, there are two specific ways that you can access that content and post. One is called the all all access pass and another is the evergreen pass. You can learn more about them at suncastcareersummit.com. I'd also like to thank those of you who have jumped in as registrants and taken up, taken me up on joining our Suncast tribe in Circle. Uh, we had a special little treat for you there. Uh, we had a fun uh, speed networking session that we just finished, just wrapped up. I got a chance to meet folks that have got 20 years in uh, oil and gas in Houston, others in uh, construction that are looking at getting into clean energy Got to meet some uh, old friends, John Powers and Cal Cherry. Thank you so much for everyone who jumped into our speed networking. And thank you, Solaris Global, for sponsoring it. And speaking of sponsors, thank you as well to LightSource BP. LightSource is the Career Summit sponsor and title sponsor. We're so grateful to have them uh, help bring this content to life. Thanks again to our subject matter experts and enthusiasts, as we call them, a, a committee of dedicated uh, industry experts and executives, uh, all of whom I think save one is uh, female and uh, helped us put this content together. Uh, we are going to head into a conversation about how are we as an industry supporting emerging leaders. And by industry, I'm, of course, per- personally and particularly focused on clean energy, but clean energy 
is a sector of broader energy, what many, what many may call traditional energy. Our guest today is Paula Glover. She has 26 years in the energy space back in 1989, starting in, uh, at, a, at a gas company. We're going to talk a bit about that. She is today the president and CEO for American Association of Blacks and Energy, as I mentioned, which is a trade association with 2,000 members across 40 chapters nationwide here in the United States. And it focuses on representing the voice for African-Americans and other minorities in energy policy, regulation, and environmental issues. So happy to have Paula here with us today. Paula, good to see you again. Good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is genuinely our pleasure, uh, our job and, uh, and opportunity here is to help create a platform and a moment for a dialogue where we can explore what's happening uh, here in the United States, uh, an awakening about the need for removing some of the systemic uh, roadblocks to career advancement for everyone. Um, I know, and we're going to talk about specifically, uh, some of the uh, perspectives that you have around uh, things like energy insecurity. But before we get there, could you give us a better understanding of how you uh, came to join the energy business broadly? I mentioned you've got nearly three decades of experience. What's been your journey from a career starting out uh, sort of in customer service and moving all the way up into executive roles? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to share that with you. You know, I started out in 1989 um, working in customer service, actually working in the business office in a small gas company in Connecticut um, where customers could come in to pay their bill, um, make payment arrangements, um, get new service, have their service, all of that. And, you know, and I often tell people that for me, it was the most important job that I've ever had. Um, it was certainly the most informative job that I've ever had because it was direct customer contact um, in a way that many of our companies don't do anymore, where someone could come in um, and if they had a problem, they would talk to you. Um, and in that experience, I got to see people sometimes in the most dire of need, um, maybe having no income, an enormous bill and being shut off and winter's coming around the, the corner. Um, and so it, it certainly heightened my sensitivity and awareness about what people, generally speaking, go through and, and our gas customers go through, um, but also how important a service it is that we provide in this, in this business that we're in. Um, and then I had an opportunity to kind of move into different roles around customer service and economic development, excuse me, um, in government affairs and regulatory affairs. And so I've always just been really passionate about um, this industry very broadly, not any particular sector, but passionate about the, the business that we're in because um, I, I can appreciate kind of how our work undercuts what everyone else is trying to do in our in our economy. Um, and the other side of that is, listen, I, I can remember being a kid um, and having the electricity shut off and my mom struggling to get that bill paid and us boiling water and all the things that you do to just kind of make it until you get that essential service. And so um, it's really why I, I really love this industry as much as I do. You've had a journey that is... Um admirable and remarkable going, uh, as I mentioned, kind of climbing th up through the ranks as an executive. Uh, before joining uh, Abe, where did you focus your career with regards to serving the broader energy industry? You know, I actually focused my career through the association, which is kind of a weird thing. Okay. Um, you know, I was 22 years old um, in an organization where there were very few people of color in, an, in a unit that there were even less. Um, and I heard about this organization of Blacks and Energy. And if I'm to be honest, like that was enough for me. I was like, oh, there's an organization of Blacks and Energy. Let me meet these people and, and find out um, what they do. And, and it helped to build a tribe for myself, as you described, Suncast, and you have mm -hmm. a tribe. That allowed me to build my own tribe. Um, and in that... I started to become passionate about the work that I was doing. Um, and I was all, I've always been a person who had this interest in, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher or a social worker. So I've always been the person who's trying to figure out like, how do you do more beyond yourself? Um, yeah. 
And when I, and Abe really showed me that I could do that in energy in a way that I had not imagined, right? By being a member and by advocating and that by understanding the business that we work in, as all the people who are participating in this event do, you can effectuate change in a different kind of way just by having the knowledge that a lot of people don't have. Um, And so that's really what kind of kept me grounded um, in it. And even if I was in a position or an organization where I felt like I needed to change, I never want to leave the industry um, because I found a calling in kind of being able to take my um, professional knowledge and apply it in other ways. Yeah. So I mentioned that you now have taken the role of president and CEO of Abe, an organization that you've been with for uh, a couple of decades. How does the mission of Abe support a more diverse and inclusive energy landscape? Sure. So, you know, the association was founded and and I'll I'll tell the brief story of how we were founded, because I think it's relevant and it's important. Um, Back in 1974-75, we had the oil embargo. I remember the oil embargo. I I remember the long gas lines. Um, And our founding members actually, um, after Jimmy Carter was elected president, he brought together a group of people to talk about the embargo and talk about how can the United States no longer be really dependent on foreign oil. Um, So imagine that we had that conversation in 1976-77. We actually just got there three to five years ago. But in that, there were no people of color in this group of individuals that he convened. There was actually no one who worked in the energy industry. Um, There were no industry people in this group. And so my my chair, my former founders that really asked the question of like, why are we not included? And the response was just like, we didn't think that you guys cared about that stuff. We didn't think black communities cared about stuff like that. and the, and the association was born. Wow. Um, but what we know for sure, what data tells us is that um, communities of color pay more for energy across income dociles, right? Um, that the energy industry, energy information um, administration um, does every five years a residential energy consumption survey. And in that survey, what they found was that about 25% of all households um, are energy insecure. And what, and, and what I mean is that um, at least one month a year, they are making a choice between paying their bills or food or medicine. That's what happens now. If you look at Hispanic households, that number drops up to 40% of Hispanic households and 50% of African-American households. Um, and so it's important, one, to get policy right um, because the impact is so great. But diversity is also important because all of us who work in this business know that this also is a business that can create a pathway to um, the middle class for some for families, it, it really does help. It has there's an economic, there's economics behind it that are very powerful, right? And and, and quite lucrative in some cases. Um, and so we all consume this product. Why would we all not be represented in it? It's not like we can choose not to use energy, right? We 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 fly yeah. on it for our medicines, for refrigeration, for our heat, for our lights, for our phones, for our tech. We all rely on it for our vehicles, you know, public transport, transport, whatever it is. Um, and so, at its base level, then um, for the association, we should all be represented. We should all benefit yeah. from the product that we all use. And and I think that's really, um, for me, really the first argument for why diversity is really important in this industry. Yeah. Thank you for mm-hmm. uh, for unpacking that. I'd like to uh, explore it a little more because, sure. as I mentioned in the lead up, uh, policies are a core programmatic focus for Abe. Where do you see deficiency in public policy that is not serving uh, the diverse communities that could be that could have access not only to equal employment, but to job uh, career growth? And are there particular policies that Abe is championing to help solve and resolve these issues. Sure. So I actually think about policy in this way, and this, and I don't know who first said this, but this idea of like starting with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind, which means what does success look like, and then figure out what are all the things that intersect into that one problem, right? So for example, um, we can talk, and we do talk a lot about workforce development, right? And how do you um, provide opportunities for people to get job training, to get job opportunities? I think that's great stuff. 
we don't tie that conversation to public education. We look at those two issues in silos. And I might suggest that we should be thinking about public education and access to public ac- education and whether or not um, students are getting the basics of what we need, right? So we know that you've got um, more, not super high percentage, but you have par- percentages of students who graduate from high school who do not read at grade level, right? Mm-hmm. So educators will tell you, you learn to read up through grade three, you read to learn grade three after. So think about a student who may not have high reading proficiency, but you put them through all this other programming, which they can't really conceptually understand because they don't have the basic background, which is strong reading skills. And then you decide you're going to give them workforce development. Um, And not that any of those other services aren't good, but the problem that we need to address really is being able to get out of school and not, right, is dealing with the educational Mm -hmm. problem. And so I think the thing around the way that we develop policy today, and if I could change it, is for us to understand how there are intersections Right. Identify the big problem. If it's climate change, um, if it's workforce, identify what the problem is and then understand what are all the other subsets that drive that problem or contribute to that problem. And let's start thinking about how we're going to tick off all of these little things. Um, It's really easy to point the figure at one thing and say that that's the cause of all that's gone on. And as long as we eliminate that, then everything else will be good. Um, But that's dishonest because it has never, ever worked that way. If it were that simple, um, certainly an association like mine, we'd have I'd have very little to do. Um, But that's just not right. That's not how um, these kinds of things, particularly when we're talking about inequity, um, it's a buildup of multiple things that have been going on for hundreds of years. Um, And so now we have to figure out how we're going to unpack all that stuff and dismantle it. I'm going to ask a question that I feel like is an honest question. I hope that it is received. Uh, I'm just don't worry about it. Ask me whatever you want. I'm thinking. I know, I know we got, you and I talked about this. Like there's a lot of stuff that's, um, I feel like sometimes we tiptoe around. Um, I, I think that we, we box around this topic of diversity, inclusion, equity. And to your point, Dale Carnegie, uh, quote, his, the quote that you uh, brought begin with the end in mind, uh, one of the seven, uh, habits of highly effective people, um, He's uh, he's pointing to have a goal that you work towards and, in fact, take that goal and work backwards from it as though it already exists. Um, and, and what did it take to get there? So uh, with that thought experiment in mind, I guess I'm curious, what does what does equity look like as a goal? Is there a defined solution? And I guess maybe one of the ways I'm thinking about it is how will we know when we've achieved it? Um, I, mm. I think I share with you Trevor Noah um, Tre- Trevor Noah said on his show recently that it's uh, almost laughable that Tim Scott and Nikki Haley are hailed as examples of um, minorities that support Republicans, uh, but they are by def- definition the exception. Um, and that's what we work with every day in energy, trying to uh, grapple with how do we increase diversity. So can I lay that one on you? What, what, is, what is the goal that we have as, a, as, a, as the end product that we can work towards? Sure. So I think if our goal is to have, um, okay, so let me, because it's a lot. If we were talking about just inequity general, right? So if we're talking about the day and times that we are in the United States today, right, where we're really trying to um, confront social injustice, racial inequity, and all that stuff, there is so much in there that we actually have to deal with. And um, the, the killing of Black men is like a piece of it. It's the most visual piece yeah. that's brought us to this moment. But there is so much other stuff in there, right? So if we think about how when COVID, the shutdown first started, and we started hearing reports of how um, Black and Brown communities were more affected by COVID-19 than others, there were multiple reasons yeah. for that, right? Access to health care. That's been going on forever. We've ever actually never really dealt with the fact that those communities have limited access to really good health care and that we're asking them to rely on emergency room visits to manage their health. Yeah. Right. That's a piece of it. Um, working non-essential, working essential jobs. Right. Most low wage jobs are filled by black women. Right. They're the ones who are sitting in your grocery stores. 
right, doing these kinds, this kind of work for no pay. So they're also exposed. They have greater risk of exposure because black and brown people tend to be in those positions that don't allow them to work from home. That's another situation. And, and how we got there is multifaceted and multilayered. Um, and then we have the social justice, right? And, and we're talking about police reform and all this other thing. Um, and so I just think that there's so many layers to it. And what we want, right? Because it makes us, it makes it, it would be easy is just to say, well, if we solve this problem, then all the other things will go away and we're good, right? But I've sat on panels with people who will talk about housing and they'll start with redlining. And so what did redlining doing in, in terms of ensuring that um, black and brown people could only live in certain communities um, and that we didn't want them to be in places that had access to better tr transportation, better school systems, like all of that stuff feeds into this larger narrative. And so, right. right one, so it's starting with the end in mind, but the other thing that you'll hear folks who do a lot of project management say is what is actually the problem you're solving for? What exactly is the problem that we're trying to solve for? And then let's work with that. So if we're talking about problems in energy, and we can even talk about climate change as an issue, right? We talk a lot about um, increasing um, access to renewable energy, right? And getting off of fossil fuels. I think we should absolutely increase access to renewable energy. I, I don't think there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's not just about the oil companies. It's about our own behavior. Right. Right. It's about our own behavior. And so if we're going to talk about it, we need to talk about how do we contribute even as individuals to that. Um, and then we have to be honest about the things that we can do in the time frame in which we can do them. Right. Yeah. So we are heavily reliant, even if you decide that we're not going to burn fossil fuels for our electricity generation. And I'm not entirely convinced that scientifically you can get there as quickly as we want and certainly not at in a, a price point that's going to work for everybody. But we don't talk about the abundance of products that we rely on that use petrochemicals. What right. are we going to do about that? Right. We don't yeah. talk about the fact that overwhelmingly we're still buying SUVs. What are we planning to do? about that. Um, we're not yeah. talking about the fact that we don't have access to public transportation in a lot of metropolitan areas that would allow people to get to and from work. What are we going to do about that? Um, and so I think what I'm suggesting is that there's so many other subsets to these issues that we need to be exploring if we really want to get to a, um, an end state that works for people. And that yeah. we're doing ourselves a collective disservice by acting as if there's one solution to a problem that has lots of different facets to it. I love this. See, I knew you were going to show up. I knew okay. we didn't need a we didn't need a keynote speech. Uh, yeah, that's love, right. And I'm I glad love. I'm not given one. Yeah, no, but you're given a you're given a master class on how to think about this problem, and that is what uh, we want to, to have in the room. We want folks that can can educate, inform, and speak to the the as you said the insecurities the inequities that we all face um well that we don't yeah. all face in fact but that is, that are abundantly um and, and let me in i want let me add that i think diversity is another one of those things that is so mm. multi-layered right that it's not yeah. just about we need a more diverse workforce and as long as we hire diverse people everything is going to be great no it's not because a lot of our workplaces are not set up for that Right. That's not right. and I don't mean like uh, physically set up for it, but they're not set up for. Right. When someone says, I want you, Paula Glover, I've hired you and I want you to bring your authentic self to work. Mm. You actually don't know what that means. Uh -huh. Right. You don't know what my authentic self is. Right. So it's and, and do you really want me to bring my authentic self or do you want me to bring Paula, the black professional who can who knows when mm. to temper some stuff back when it's required to make my colleagues feel comfortable? Right. And, wow. and are we as a workplace and as leaders of um, companies willing to be honest with us enough with ourselves that that yeah. dynamic exists? Are right. We willing to go there? That, That's right. Are there biases in our workplace? Absolutely. Because people work there and we all have them. That's not a black, white thing. That's a people thing. Mm. We all have our biases. Right. We all think about leaders in a different way. When I started uh, my career, um, women were women who were in leadership positions should wear they should be like men. You wear the blue power suit with the red scarf as a tie. 
um, and you're going to, if you're going to be a leader, I need you to be masculine. That's what it was like in 1989. And then we start to see a shift, right? That actually that's not, that has nothing to do with whether or not you're an effective leader, right? We started talking about emotional intelligence. We started talking about how do you read a room? Um, and so even when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we have to, I think, acknowledge that there's a whole lot of stuff in there. Um, that we all collectively have to work on. Um, but I would say the first yeah. thing we need to do is be really honest about who we are as individuals, but also what, what our workplaces really are, not what we say they are yeah. when we put the values on the wall. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the way that, uh, that you characterize that. There are some characterizations that organizations kind of need to root out, right, that prevent supporting this diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I've heard you say before that there's kind of a priority stack for diversity, inclusion, and equity. How, how do you stack rank those uh, if, if that's a thing? So I rank them, and I've come to this more recently in the last couple of years, equity, inclusion, and then diversity. I think part of mm -hmm. the failings that we've seen in our DEI programs is that we started with diversity first, right? So we've yeah. um, done a lot around how do we recruit students and what institutions are we recruiting them from. Um, I have a, a colleague, Kristen Graff, um, at um, RISE, the Women in Renewable right. and Sustainable. And she, and she said this, and I quote, we quote her, and she said she took it from someone else, but I was like, I give it to her, um, which is that we hire for diversity and then we manage for assimilation. For That's assimilation. So manage for assimilation, right? Wow. Um, I hire diverse people, but I actually want you just to fall in line with how we already do things. And then you right, we go on and get along and, and, and people who study um, kind of how wow. generations, different generations work, Gen Z, Gen X, you know, that will tell you that Gen X, my generation is actually the last generation of workers who will come into an organization and assimilate into the way that your processes are and not challenge. But that our millennials and our Gen Z's um, of whom I've raised many um, are not working that way. And so our companies yeah. are learning to adjust because you have a workforce who's coming in and who's, who's asking different types of questions. Um, but I think, you know, if you start with equity, right, do you have um, an equitable workplace, right? Does everybody, is everybody treated fairly? Not the same necessarily, but is everybody treated fairly? And is it transparent? Can we know what we can expect, right? If we're, if you and I work in the same organization and we have um, the same job, um, can we both do the same thing and expect the same exact outcome. Um, but even equity shows up in, in different types of ways, right? So if you're looking at people who you want to move into a leadership position and you say, well, this person is ready for leadership, what exactly does that mean? And does it mean something different if the person is a man or a woman? I don't know. But I would suspect that in some organizations, it does mean something different, right? Um, we may say that a man is aggressive, a man is assertive and a woman is aggressive, right? It's language. It's how we describe the same behavior, but we use a different word to describe it really based on the, that person's gender and or maybe even their race. Um, and so equity is kind of how are we one, understanding that those dynamics exist in our workplace and then removing them so that everybody feels right. And everyone is having the same kind of experience with you as an organization. Then I go to inclusion because that's really right. This thing. And, and you maybe even want to switch those around sometimes, but it's um, what kind of company are we really? Right. Most companies will have mission statements, will have a vision statement, will may have a value statement and will say these are the values that we have as an organization. Um, inclusion in my mind is how do those values show up every single day? And not because you wrote them on the wall, but because the customers who interface with you would say, yep, that's who that company is. And so if I say that my company is really um, our value is customer engagement. And we want to make sure that every single customer has a positive experience to us, with us, no matter what the circumstance. Yeah. The way to find out if that's really a value of your organization is to find the customer who had the most difficult problem. Right. And, and ask them how we solved it. How do we do in solving that? Even if the response wasn't what they wanted. Was the person empathetic if it's a utility company? Did you find that the rep was empathetic to what you were talking about? Did they help you identify other resources 
um, to, to help, you know, through this situation? Or was it somebody who just said, I don't care what you do, pay the bill, I'm going to shut you off. Because I would say if that was the response, then perhaps making sure that every customer has a great experience is not actually your value. And so I think leaders have to do that kind of internal self-assessment. They have to, um, and that's super hard, right? It's hard for employees to have that level of honesty with their management and their leadership team, right? We all would be afraid of that because if I tell you really the truth, am I going to be impacted? You know, are you going to look at me differently as an employee? Is there going to be some sort of retaliation, right? There's a level of um, vulnerability as an employee that you have to do if you're going to really feed into that type of process. Um, But on the other side, if I'm a leader and I say, I am really going to embark on this journey around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I know that my organization is not diverse, um, you're also putting yourself out there, right, in a public in a public domain or even internally to receive criticism, right? Yes. And how do I still push forward through that? So um, that's why I think that inclusion thing is second. And then I think you get to the diversity piece, like take care of what's going on in your organizations first internally. My mother would say, get your own house in order before you start talking about somebody else's house, get your yeah. own house in order and then bring some other people into it, but don't bring other people into your hot mess of an organization and then expect, that somehow they're magically going to make it great because it it just never, ever turns out that way. And I think the risk is far more greater that your organization's reputation and how seriously your employees take those goals are when you haven't done the pre-work. Hey, Solar Warriors, have you gotten your ticket yet to this year's most exclusive and exciting event? That's right. I'm excited to announce that on January 20th, we're going to be hosting along with Clean Energy for Biden, the Clean Energy for America inaugural ball. This is a virtual celebration of all our achievements in 2020 with this election. This celebration is truly in gratitude for all of your hard work, Solar Warriors, in electing President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris to fight for our clean energy future. You can join us for this exciting first ever event that's going to bring together industry leaders, clean energy advocates, and amazing, exciting guests for an evening of celebration. Tickets are just 100 bucks for general admission, and they will surely sell out. So be sure not to sleep on this offer. There's going to be red carpet, entertainment, star-studded after party. You can get all the details as well as lock down your ticket and see other levels and sponsorship opportunities by going to mysuncast.com and clicking on the CE4B logo. That's find the CE4B logo at mysuncast.com. See you on the 20th. I'm getting messages online and from my team in the background going, damn, Paula. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I love it. Thank you. I love it. You're dropping. Uh, I I, I like to say, uh, you got to come in with your hot gloves on because we're about to take some we got, we about to take the, the pan out of the, the bread out of the oven. This is good, Paula. This is really good. I have good. a um, mentor who always says to me, girl, speak truth to power. Just speak truth to power. And I'm like, okay. I love it. I love it. I'm so, I'm personally inspired. I'm thinking about not only the program that we have here. And um, I mean, it's just, it's all, uh, it's all tying together in such a way that I can't even, um, I can't, I couldn't have asked for. Um, so can I'm, I add I'm really one more so thought? Excited. Yeah, please do. Because here's the other thing that I will say is that this is not a you problem or me problem. Like this is an issue that we all collectively contribute to solving. Um, You know, during the course of the summer, there have been a lot of uh, organizations, not a lot, but there have been some articles, right? Even in the Wall Street Journal about the exhaustion of being a black professional and trying to walk the organization and do your job and act as if what's happening in the world is not really occurring Um, or being the only woman employee or the only person of color um, and then trying to um, right be the representative or feeling like I'm the representative of the race and the agenda for these people. Like those are real things. And even when you are that person um, and I have been that person and you are absolutely sick of it, you still got to do it. Right. Because we all have a place. I can't um, work for Suncast and say, well, this is Amico's problem and I don't have a role to play. I absolutely do have a role to play. Right. I have to have the the courage to be able to say to you, um, if I see something that ain't quite right, um, Nico, let me just talk to you for a second. That's not cool. And here's why. Right. We all have to show up if we're really interested in diversity, equity, inclusion, then we collectively have to show up. 
Um, yeah. And, and we all have a role that we can play big or small. There's something for us to do in that. Yeah. I want to um, shout out, we'll play, play uh, some of our fancy tools here, but shout out to HG. Uh, he says, by leading with equity, it helps explain a black community matters. Um, I'm seeing it. Yeah, that's exactly you, it. Thank you, yeah. HG, who is a dynamic leader, might I add. Yeah. Like he's a great leader. He totally is. I uh, know he's a, he's a big fan of yours. And, and, and I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Um, another. Yeah. My, our friend Matt Harris over at SEI. So there's still so much listening and understanding needs to take place. And I find that, uh, you know, anecdotally, as we reached out, I, as a 41 year old, uh, 15 year sort of solar energy executive, white male privilege as, as one could possibly be in this industry. Um, uh, I can, I encountered time and time again, CEOs, uh, two of whom are going to speak after you today, uh, who were unwilling to say, Hey, I, I actually, who were completely humbled to say, I'm not the example. I'm sorry. I don't want to be the example. We're still like very much in the throw here. And, and I think that's where, uh, many, many organizations find themselves right now. And I'm personally encouraged to see the number of even white female leaders in our industry say, I, I don't, I don't have this figured out yet. Um, I'm trying to figure it out, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to invite Erica and you to come and help uh, sort of open the door, uh, help us get uh, a little more insight into the narrative. Um, I feel like this is a pseudo unconscious bias training right now. Um, mm -hmm. I but, mean, it's I, a little bit, mm -hmm. right? I think people want to have the answers and they want the answers to be kind of easy and certainly the, the answers to be fast. And my response is always kind of like, it took us 400 years to get here. You're not going to solve it in six months. You're just not, right? That's right. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't try to solve it. It just means that we have to really be patient. Um, yeah. I think we all, we all collectively have to listen more because there is, and, and that my experience is, is as a black woman may be very different than someone else's. Right. And, and we have to account for that, that just because I said that this is well, this is how it worked for me doesn't mean it worked this way for everybody. And the same would be for you. Um, and so all of that, because we're talking about people um, just, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that you can be afraid of. Um, but I would suggest that none of us have been afraid of something that we didn't actually push through and, and, and can go, go to the other side and be like, oh, you know, I, I thought about as I thought about this conversation with you. The last time I felt the only one of the few times that I actually felt real, real fear was going zip lining with my husband and my son in Costa Rica. And as we walked this mile and a half up the mountain, I was stricken with fear. And they didn't really understand that I was afraid until we got the top and they started yeah. clipping people on. And he, my husband looked at me and he was like, are you OK? And I was like, no, mm. I am absolutely scared to death. Um, and so when it was time to go, they had this thing where they said it's a taxi so you could go with somebody else. <laughs> Myself and a five-year-old little girl were the only ones who wanted a taxi. And they were shocked. They were like, you want a taxi? And I was like, yes, sir, Bob. If somebody's going to die, it. you're going to die with me. We're going to get <laughs> But after, that's how I felt about it. That's what I was afraid of. Um, and it was like an eight yeah. thing. But after I did the first two, I was like, okay. I'm good. And so yeah. I think when we start talking about diversity and race and equity, yeah, the first one's going to be really scary. Yep. Then the next one is also going to be scary. But the more that we do it, the easier that it gets. The more that we listen, the more that we understand who we are, that we learn more about one another, the easier the criticism and the hard stuff is easier for us to deal with and to push through. Yeah. But you have to start. Yeah. Right. And just say, what's the worst thing that they could say to me? OK, I know how to get through that one. And let's just go. Yeah, I love it. I, I want to borrow this um, metaphor of a taxi. Uh, Abe has served as a, as a signpost, uh, as a vessel in, in many ways um, for folks to help uh, ascend their career. I, I would imagine with the national focus on equity right now, uh, the last six months and pr probably the last three months have been a very different narrative internally for Abe and with the engagements that you have. Uh, how's the work changed? Uh, how is Abe 
uh, serving in that taxi role, not just for black professionals in energy, but for the broader energy landscape? Yeah, I think um, we we are absolutely I'm happy to be the taxi. Um, you know, when I first got this job, the first eight months and I was asked to speak, it would always be about talk. I want you to talk about being a woman in energy, talk about being African-American woman, and I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Like, I just wouldn't. I would be really insulted by it, if I'm to be honest. I was mad about it. I was like, oh, so now you're going to ask the Black girl to do it. Like, no one else has to do that. That's how I felt about yeah. it. Um, and my that. husband kept saying, you're being silly. Like, because at the end of the day, if that's what gets you in the door, no one can control what comes out your mouth. But you need to get the, you need to get the invitation to get in the door. And yeah. I got more comfortable talking about it. And then this summer, I'm okay with having these hard conversations. I'm okay with helping leaders have these hard discussions. Um, I'm okay with giving them what I think are some little uh, insights and things that people may be thinking about or questions that you need to ask, um, but also helping them to see that they will be okay. That you're going to hear some stuff that you really don't like, and it's going to really stink. But... The good news is you ask the question and you're willing to hear it. And that's a demonstration to those who are talking to you that you're serious. And that's what yeah. people want. People want to be able to talk about it, right? Across this, we want to be able to talk about it. We just want to be able to talk about it. It's cathartic. It's healing yeah. to be able to talk about it. Um, and it's really the only way I think that you can really move on to some real action. Um, and, and our industry and cross sector companies, they're doing some really, I think, brave things. Um, yeah. because they are trying to finally move the ball forward as opposed to we as an industry saying, well, that's a social justice issue and that has nothing to do with us. And yet it has a lot to do with the health of your employees and therefore it has a lot to do with you. Oh, and by the way, while we may not be talking about the interaction with a police officer, that does not mean that racism and bias does not exist in our organizations. It just means that we are really now ready to say, like, what does Iyanla say? Call a thing a thing. We're now ready to like yeah. say, you know what? Yeah, it exists and we don't, we don't want this here. And so let's figure out how we're going to find out what it is, where does it exist, and then let's and then and then work collectively to get rid of it and train our employees, our employees of color, but also our Caucasian employees about what's okay, what's not okay, why it's not okay. Right? My I have a, a child who came out, um, and she's a huge LGBTQ advocate. I, I'm in love with this kid and her fear and my daughter, her fearlessness. But there were lots of things that I didn't know, and I would say stuff to her, and yeah. she'd be like, "Mommy, don't say that." That's offensive. Mm. You never say stuff like that. And I would say, I honestly had no idea. So teach me yeah. so that I won't do it anymore. There's nothing wrong with yeah. being upfront and honest about like, hey, I had no idea. Please teach me. Yeah. Right. But once someone teach, once once she taught me, she wasn't going to give me a pass if I was using bad language, nor should she. I raised her that way. I was like, you taught me. I heard what you said. So if I do it again, now I'm not going to do it again because I'm sensitive to what my child saying, and I actually don't want to want around, you know, town insulting people needlessly. Like for what reason? I don't get anything out of that. Um, so I yeah. think there's there's grace that's involved, right? That in our organizations we do have to give people an opportunity to listen and learn, listen though, and learn, and then we begin to move forward to next steps. Yeah, uh, I want to honor. The incredible amount of comment commentary that we're getting from uh, LinkedIn, uh, from Miles and HG and Mario, uh, some of the folks on YouTube that are watching live, Matt Harris. Uh, uh, there's a there's a collective question. I think I'm going to join Matt and HG's questions. So Matt asks: There's a lot of approaches for companies starting doing DEI work. Uh, where would you say are and don't answer yet, but where would you say are the best ways to start? Is it equity training, company assessments, seek resources in your community. And then HG says, well, then back on equity, what should our collective priority be to address now? Is it property ownership, internet access? So there's community um, approach to equity and, and what should our priority be? And then there's corporate focus. Where do we start? Yeah. So I would say the, the, <sighs> And, and this isn't really a cop-up answer, but I don't think they're going to like it. The, the sad thing is there's way too many places to start that you could almost choose 
what you want to prioritize, right? So I'm looking at HG's question around, is it property ownership? Yep. Is it internet <laughs> access? Absolutely. Is there a wealth disparity? Yes. Is there pay disparity if we talk about our organizations? Yes. Do we need to assess our organizations like Matt says and do a full company assessment, which would, and I would say assessment before training. Absolutely. Uh Understand where you are before you start to train people, because what are you training them on? Right. We can train people very broadly on equity and we should be doing that. But we should also understand, like, what's going on in our companies. I sat on a panel once and one of the speakers said, hey, um, has anybody in this room ever um, had their lunch in the bathroom? And I raised my hand and there were several of us who raised their hand. A lot of people like and was like, yes, because I had to nurse my child. Wow on my lunch break. Right. And there was no place for me to nurse my baby. So I went into the bathroom because that was the only private place there was for me to nurse. Right. And so I actually knew that that's what she was talking about because that was my experience for a lot of people. They were like, I can't even believe you'd have to do that, but that's because we actually never thought about it. Right. And so equity training and doing a company assessment, right. That is if we're in that example, do we have everything provided for, for new moms or dads? when they come back to work? Have we accounted for all those things that they're gonna need? Probably not because we never really thought about working that way. And this kind of creates that opportunity. And then I think if you're looking at the community, and I say this to companies, you, we all can respond even in our communities, but there are lots of areas that we can choose from. And so find that thing that either you as a leadership team or your employees that you're passionate about and invest in that. Um, And it is everything from property ownership. But if we're talking even about energy, if we just wanted to say, you know, we just want to address inequity and energy, I might say then maybe we should start with making sure that every low income household has um, energy efficiency in their home. Right. And not making them jump through hoops with landlords and ever and others to make sure that their house is weatherized if it needs to be, that it's insulated when it needs to be, that they have. Um, the right flow of water. Like there are things in yeah, our business that we could do if that's what you want to focus on. The, 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 um, so simply it's like, choose what you want to do. It's unfortunate that you have so many choices because you yeah. have tons and of Paul, And Paul, these are things that uh, a company can focus on as taking a bite out of the apple. Uh, a great example um, is uh, I know that like Next Tracker, one of our companies in energy, uh, in renewable energy, they have a number of different corporate policies, one of which is if you want an electric car, you get one. The company will help you. They will find a way to help you get into an electric vehicle to get off of fossil fuels. Like their commitment to access is that deep. And they have other policies around supporting the community. Um, so to the point of assessment, one thing that uh, occurs to me is assessment of even do you know what level of food and energy insecurity exists within your own workforce? And how are you going to address that? Like get your own house in order. Um, yeah. It comes and employees, I think it's, it's I simpler think the that. comment that Mario made, uh, which is mm, that's right. Yeah. And to your point, like companies, they sort of tiptoe around this. But to Mario's point, you just got to make a decision, right? Yeah. You got to stand on something. Sometimes you have to make a decision and be okay to pivot. It's okay. Right. We make a mean. But I think Mario is absolutely right. We have to make a decision um, and it can be right. The way that we can be involved in communities, it can be everything from I had a chapter once who focused on being reading lunch buddies to kindergartners. And they just decided as a chapter, yeah. once a month, they were all going into the same exact school um, to to read books to a group of kindergartners. And they did this from the same children, kindergarten, first grade and second grade. Here's what they found, that those students that they stuck with during that period of time, by the time they hit third grade, were outperforming the other students who didn't get that kind of attention in their standardized tests. Just a little thing. I'm giving you an hour, a week or a month. Right. And so there are so many things you can do because that chapter recognized that readiness for school was absolutely around reading. And so they were going to work with kids to get them up to speed on reading so that by the time it really, really mattered, they were ready to go. Um, And so there are lots of options, I think, for us as individuals and as organizations. Um, But we have to be patient because I think the problem sometimes is that we want to see the result of this work 
in a really short period of time. Um, I have resigned myself that I think some of the, the biggest results of the work that I'm so most passionate about, we may not, I may not see those results until after I retire. It doesn't mean though that I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. Right. I'm going to continue doing it. And I hope whoever's behind me and those who are walking alongside me, that number of people broadens. And we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because we know. Right. And adjusting when we have to from new learnings that um, at some point it will be different. Right. Yeah. You have to you have to, uh, you I have have a, to work towards that. I have a practical question. Um, and I, I'm sorry, this is coming in from LinkedIn, so I don't see exactly who it is, but I'll pop it up here and let's see how much of it shows. Hopefully all of it does. Um, how do we think about uh, EEO forms? And um, I'll, I'll read a bit of the question if you yeah. want me to. But Trending heavily. Race doesn't matter. Then why is it asked when applying for a job? So mm-hmm. I will tell you that I actually do think race matters. Like I'm not a person who says, oh, I see no color and all that other stuff. I, I, I actually am. I, I don't like that. Um, I think, right, I don't know why companies, every company may ask for a different reason, partially because they want to know what their numbers are, but companies who may be getting federal dollars actually have to demonstrate what their numbers are, right? So it, for their, the reasoning may um, be different, but at the end of the day, I don't know how you know how well you're doing unless you're measuring that. And, if, and this may be, I don't know if that's true, this may be a tool that folks are using to just even measure who's coming in, right? Um, it's one thing to say every single panel that um, um, that we have, um, panel of individuals who are interviewing for a job have to be diverse. But if the outcome is continues to be the white guy at the very end, then I might ask, so what was the point of the panel, right? Why go through that exercise if it's not going to get to a, a different result? Um, and so, that may be, and it's a big maybe because I'm just not familiar enough with EEO forms. I'm not an HR person, but that may be right a reason why you would do something like that. Well, uh, uh, we're coming up on uh, the the end of an hour. I, I'd yeah. like to ask. Yeah, it's such. A, I have an, a whole lot of questions that I really. Um, would love to uh, dig into with you. But one of the things I think broadly that I know my tribe is interested in, if, um, if the, the speed networking session is any indication, there are a lot of folks in traditional energy uh, that are looking at how uh, both inside of their companies they can affect climate change, but also transitioning into a role in renewable energy. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts as a, as a final note. How do we bridge the gap between oil and gas or fossil fuels and renewables, uh, and in particular with oil and gas jobs on decline, like uh, like rarely seen before, 30,000 plus individuals in, uh, in the oil and gas field um, uh, losing their role. Um, what roles do you feel that oil and gas folks are ideally suited for? How, how do we help bring them yeah. into new roles? So I think it's bringing people into new roles in this industry is really interesting because we tend to be an industry that is not as focused on skill as we are on the job that you had before. Um, And so I would say that whether you're going from fossil fuels to renewables or, or even the reverse, it's about the skills that you bring, not the job that you did. And we have to get, I think, real honest about what are those skills that you need for somebody to have on a job? And not necessarily like, what are the action items that you want them to do? Because, you know, you can teach people to do a lot of stuff, but are you looking for someone with strong communication skills? Are you looking with someone who has strong um, relationship building skills? Are you looking for someone who's really good at managing a budget or excellent at project management? Those are skills that trans, right? They can go to any single industry. Um, And if we think about it that way, I think you get there. I think the other thing, though, particularly when we start talking about oil and gas versus renewables is let's get rid of adding any kind of narrative around the sector that I work in. Right. So I have folks, colleagues who work in oil and gas who get a hard time because you're working for that industry who's just trying to kill us. Like, let's get rid of all that. Right. Because none of that is necessary. And it actually, I think, doesn't make people feel like this is a place that I want to work. Right. I don't want to go someplace that's just going to 
uh, bash what I was doing before because that's the the, com- the business that I was in. I don't I don't think that's a helpful um, right. This is not helpful for transition. Um, and so those would be the two things that I think we could do really quickly. Right, it's changing the narrative. We work in energy. And I think you have had a great energy career um, and it's been at Chevron, but man, you have been an exceptional project manager and and look at the projects that you've built for tens of billions of dollars on time, under budget, using diverse vendors. And I'm building um, utility solar and I need those skills for this project. Let's think of it that way as opposed to attaching the other stuff to it. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. Um, and, uh, in fact, I don't think I could have said it even as close to eloquent. Oh, you're so, so thank sweet. you. Thank you. <laughs> well, this has been an absolutely phenomenal, um, uh, conversation. Uh, I'm encouraged by the number of voices that are watching along live. Thank you to all of you who are watching HG and Mario and Eden and Matthew, uh, just looking back at the list, Miles Braxton, thank you for tuning in, Craig Ernst, so many folks cheering you on that. Oh, uh, thank you. LinkedIn, please connect with me if we're not connected. Please connect with me. Exactly. So what's the website for Abe for those that that aren't familiar? Sure. So our website is www.aabe.org. Thanks for calling it Abe. Some people don't know what to call it, but we are Abe as in Lincoln. So it's not tough. Um, but please, you know, you can get a lot of information from us on our website, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, and please connect mm-hmm. with me on LinkedIn, connect with me on Twitter. Um, I'm not as active on Twitter as I should be. I'm trying to get better. Um, but I will yeah. respond. If you send me something through LinkedIn, I do respond to those. So please and join yeah, us, is- please join us. And, um, if there are things that we aren't looking at and we should be paying attention to, we are always as an organization open to suggestions and feedback. And I want to hear from people. Indeed. And we want to hear from you as well. Thanks so much for all those who are putting their comments in LinkedIn and uh, YouTube. Thank you for following along. Uh, Just so inspired that uh, so many folks are chiming into this discussion. Uh, We would encourage you. Yeah. Hang around um, for the rest of the summit. We've got two, uh, two more days. We've got two more sessions today as well as a workshop on uh, overcoming obstacles to DNI hiring, a whole workshop on DNI hiring in action. The next one coming up is with two uh, white CEOs in the industry who are going to talk about how and when they sort of recognized that there was a problem inside of their organization. Yeah. How, as leaders, they are trying to affect and influence change in their organization, what steps they are taking. Um, I think it's a, a brave uh, a brave thing for them to do. Uh, we've invited them to sort of stand up and express uh, express that courage and express also, as, as many will hear, the humility that, that they come at this with. Uh, Paula, you're such a, uh, a vocal, uh, inspiring, and humble leader. Oh, thank um, you. Not only for your tribe, but now for ours. Yeah, so we're sure. grateful to be able to help. Well, you're you in here. my tribe now, uh, too. I, so. I, yes. Of course. Just got bigger. Check Always that, does. Check that goal off. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to we're going to have uh, I'm going to have to have you back. There's so many questions we didn't answer. Have to have you back on uh, on Suncast as uh, an interview as well. Hey, I just want to say thanks once again to Paula for joining us, not just in September, but also in the upcoming Clean Energy for America inaugural ball. If you haven't gotten your ticket, I want to encourage you to go to cleanenergyforbiden.com forward slash ball. You can also click on the link on my homepage at mysuncast.com. That'll take you there. It's going to be an all-star event. I can't even tell you how excited I am, but there are some true A-listers. I'm literally getting on the phone today to close out contracts on some of the biggest names in entertainment, and you are not going to want to miss it. For 100 bucks. you can go to the main event. There's an additional after-party ticket that you can get for 50 if you get it in time, but grab it this week. I'd like to encourage you to join us in this celebration. I'd also like to ask you if you haven't already go comment on our post on linkedin about this episode and tell me what it is that you are taking away from this talk with paula that you are going to apply to your business or your career are you looking to create more diversity in your business are you looking to diversify away from your existing job and into a new career 
we would love to chat with you. Please uh, reach out to me. You can go to workwithnico at mysuncast.com. You can click on work with Nico and uh, there are ways to contact me or to set up a clarity call. But also, I would encourage you to listen to this coming Thursday's episode. Another one of our speakers from the Suncast Career Summit, Mr. Matt Hankey of New Energy Equity is going to give us the insight into how he built such a thriving and remarkable business at such a young age. You aren't going to want to miss that. That's it for this Tactical Tuesday. I love you so much. Remember, you are what you listen to. And thank you so much for showing up, Solo Warrior. It is half the battle.